Well, we could put up from Nissim, it's already gone up to 60,000, but from other people, it's gone up to around 50, 40. I, I usually go around 20 myself, thank God. It's up to you guys. I'm not sitting with the camera tonight. I want to just like do my thing. So. Yeah, yeah, exactly. If you have camera or whatever. I just say, first of all, any job is he... You work to pitch in black, number one, so if everyone hits in black, then we got some of the tortures. And number two, if you guys, he's under the rabbi of Irish, but he's a huge, one of the biggest rabbis in Israel, and Eddie is organizing all his stuff, um, and he's, like, he's doing huge work. You'll, maybe you'll, you'll look, at, look at some of the videos he's putting out of Irish, incredible stuff. Just to, tonight they do a video, guys asking questions worldwide, they're asking questions and he's giving these videos. Um, with thousands and thousands of people watching from all over the world. Uh, Ellie himself is a bit of a musician. He's uh, you know, involved with curious uh, and teaching. Trying. And so I, I thought it would be nice tonight just to get together with Ellie, play a bit of songs, sing a bit of songs. We really, really like our songs. And I also want the guys to maybe share some Torah. You guys have been privileged to be in a bit of a shiver time now, the last few, last few days. So I did some love dog bear. Maybe you can inspire me, you can inspire Ellie, inspire, inspire each other. Yeah, that's an idea. Get to know India a bit as well. Cool. Yeah, We're Dogbert Cohen in H. That's yeah. where you be. Yeah. Yeah. Good guy. He lives around there, not far. Yeah. So uh, yeah. we've we've, yeah. we've seen him a couple of times on the way to. Uh, yeah. So just the other day, I was in the Shabbos. I mean, before this whole Corona thing hit, I was just in a little hostel up the road with family. They made like a Shabbaton up the road, if you know what that is. And uh, we had. So I needed to figure out where to pray. So. I've got a good friend down the road, he's in, uh, just off here by Agrippus, by Rockavelli Old Solomon, I think. He has a shul there, number eight, I think, is Alex Clare, and if you heard of him, he's a musician. So he has a shul there, which pretty much he's the cousin, he's, it's his place. And he invited me to come there the whole Shabbos, and it was, it was really, really nice. So if you guys live here, like Shabbos, or even during the week, he's got stuff going on. Uh, and he's a holy dude, plus a famous dude as well. I never actually, funny enough, worked with him for whatever reason. We want to get him to on, into our studio, but um, he's just one of the many people around. That if you're in Jerusalem, you've got a lot of solid people, you know, you can like connect with. Especially now that, you know, with Corona, like it's a different world. You know, like I was touring much more, traveling and setting up my artists to tour and travel. And everything's now, you know, it's more like online or local. So this is for me like a cool time, like to get together with you, with you guys and... Uh, you know, you're welcome to ask questions, you know, as we go along. But I'll just tell you very, like, in short, my personal story. And I hope it will be, like, helpful for, like, some of the choices and things you're doing and give you a bit of clarity. Because, you know, like, personally, I'm already, like, 40 now. I can't believe it. Um, and, you know, that's probably 20 years more than you, dude. So being in this world, those 21st years in London was you know, really cool and I thank Hashem that I, that I grew up in a cool family, I got I had a good lifestyle, you know, I I was telling our friend here, what's your name again? Jordan. Jordan. I was telling him, Jordan, that, you know, I went to a school where I was the only Jew, only Yid, and that was in a way a very, it was a, you know, like co-ed state school, like very low class, you know, in England class does make a difference still, I don't know if it does till this day, but when I was growing up, it was more still something people talked about. And 
you know, it was gave me an opportunity to meet all kinds of people from all kinds of places in the world. Even though I was a little boy, and until I was around 11, 12, I was still friendly with these guys. And what happened to me was a life-changing moment when I went to hang out with my boys in a more rough estate park. I don't know if you, were, you know what estate is, but be like, you have those? Yeah. Huh? Government yeah. It's like real tough, you know, like place. And But I wasn't scared because I was with my boys, you know. So what happened was a whole group of boys checked us out and they, could, they were checking me out because I came from a Jewish home. Obviously, I had a bit more wealth on show, you know. So they were figuring out as bit by bit as half our boys left, so there was more of them than us. So they came with bricks and they pinned down all the boys around me like with bricks because there was more of them than us. And this little guy, a little bit more like a gypsy dude, came up to me and said, like, you know, let's go. And he just started knocking me out and beat out my teeth and like really beat me up. And I couldn't really do much because there was still some other ones standing there with bricks. So probably if I hit him, I'd be, so I basically I just did a runner, yeah, sorry to be like a bit of a coward, that's what I did. And I ran back to the house where I was staying, there was a whole bunch of nutters staying there, and they came running after these guys. Uh, eventually we got them all beaten up, all of them, yeah, because we, we knew who they were. But that was like my thought, like why me? You know, I was, there were some other characters there, none of them were Jewish. Why, why again and again, this happened many times in London, like why was I Jewish that made me be more exposed to like, I don't know, anti-Semitism, you could call it, or this sense that they just knew there was something different about me, either the way I dressed or a certain way of character or whatever it was. And um, it made me think, you know, that was my question growing up. And bit by bit, I got more and more friends of Jewish kids, even though, like I said, I went to an only Jewish, a non-Jewish school where I was one of the only Jews there. So why were my best friends Jewish? Why were my crew Jewish? And by the time I was 16, I came to Israel, you know, like people go and I don't know if they do it now with Corona, but um, I mean, I got my cousin in London. I don't know if she went. Um, it's, it's actually not my cousin, my niece. I don't know if she went, but uh, they used to come called tour, and you come on tour groups when you're 16. And even though I was like more of a player on tour than I, and I mean playing music and a player with girls, but I was more in that kind of thing. Like my everyone had a little symbol what they represented. I was like a world with like a tongue and a guitar, you know? <laughs> it's because I went around the world, literally. And uh, if you know what I mean. So that was my symbol on the t-shirt. I probably still have it somewhere. And uh, it was cool like to go from that, but I had a certain experience where I suddenly just switched off from that a little bit in the middle of the trip. And I, some things went on which weren't so fun, you know, where guys are getting jealous and, you know, people were angry. And it, it made me feel like, wait a minute, like. I don't feel good about this, like even though I'm doing, I'm becoming the best at this and I even started running nightclubs and I came back to England and it was the nightclub, I don't tell people this every day and you know, it's like one of my secrets but in Israel, but it was called Pimps and Whores, so it was in the middle of London and, I, and I'd fill it up and it was a success and I was making money and I was getting whatever I wanted, alcohol, drinks, I was VIP, you know, it was my event and I had DJs and the whole thing and like when I was in that mode, I felt more empty than ever. Like I just felt more and more something was off. And that was the whole switcheroo where I was like, there must be more to life. And thank God I met some cool people in college. One of them being my brother-in-law to be, I didn't know then. And we, we just started chilling and my best friends and started making music more and more, doing poetry, exploring ourselves. Even though I met my wife in that time in the gym, I was just telling, um, 
who was the dude who came up with us, you, yeah, what's your name again? Joey. Joey. I told Joey on the way out, I met my wife in the gym, so, you know, she was from Cape Town, so that was my South African connection. She came to England like a lot of people did in those days, I don't know if they're still doing that, but, you know, like, a lot of people came to England when they were worried about what was going to be and the safety and stuff. So um, thankfully I met my wife during that time and uh, we weren't obviously going out or anything. In fact, it was completely platonic, but there was a deep connection, like a soul connection. Even in those days, I felt that feeling and life started to go on a different, you know, wavelength. So that question continued, like, why am I Jewish? What does this mean? The Holocaust, what, what happened there? You know, that was the end of my history, like in, in college. You know, we end off like all the history from all the way back, you know, we never started off with the Jews, you know, that, that's not how they start off history, start off with the Greeks or something like that. And then you end off with the Holocaust, like that was my journey, I was very into history. So like Greeks all the way to the, the Holocaust, you know, this doesn't make sense, this world and why this Holocaust and who are these people that, you know, we end off our historical studies with these, these tormented people that I'm from and I know nothing about, you know, like I don't know what the Talmud is, I know nothing. Nothing, I don't know Aleph base, nothing. So I'm trying to figure it out with real life and uh, come to Israel around 17, 18 again, university years, just about to go to university, I have a few powerful, powerful experiences just before I go to university and during university. And each time I came here, like everything just flowed on a different level. I was very into this flow. I still talk about it. I have actually two podcasts about it nowadays. One called Unity Flow Podcast is about you know, Divine Providence, talking about there's a flow in life and Relationship Flow podcast. These are my two, like, personal podcasts. And that's about relationship advice, you know, with how to, like, go into relationships in a positive way. And it's all about this flow. So I already felt that then as a teenager, like, there wasn't just whatever. You know, people say whatever, like, everything just happens. No, it doesn't just happen. And coronavirus isn't just whatever. And, and us sitting here together isn't just whatever. This was meant to be, like, Yoni decided this, and we talked about it once or twice, we saw each other's simchas, but it isn't whatever, the fact that Yoni's in our family, and the fact you guys are sitting here, everything's not whatever, you know, like, it's, it's all divine providence, so, like, that, if you know what that means, like, it's, you know, God's providence, you know, like, it's very specific and meant to be, and it gives you a different clarity, like, then you start to understand, hey, look, I got a father like this, I got a mother like this, I got a grandma, grandpa, friends, Boys, I got girls, I got this, I got that. Whatever you got in your life, I got a rabbi like this, I got, I'm sitting in Israel. Everything now, you start to look at it in a deeper way. You start to think, well, you know, there's something going on. Like, why am I Jewish? Why are my best friends Jewish? Why, hey, minute, why is this person in my life? What's this person about? And you start to think a bit more. I know people don't think so much because, you know, we've got TikTok and, you know, everything else making us like this. But, like, imagine, like, where we can, can just stop for a minute and just have a little bit of focus and we start to say, hey, like, there's something deep and profound going on. So, like, the fact, even like, he only mentioned I became a manager from Nissan Black and, and Ravorish, that's also divine providence. You know, like, I was just doing a corporate job. I was going crazy. Like, I'm a, a, I believe a big soul. Like, I have a big soul. People have told me I believe in myself. You know, it's important to work on that. And I know I have this purpose, and I'm sitting in this little box, you know, like, I've rented out this little 
office space and I'm working for this corporate company that everything you do they they they're listening and they're questioning and they're you know they're they're marking you and it affects your bonus and it's like this can't be my life you know I'm gonna this corporate job like, this can't be what I'm gonna do for like to support my family and use all my talents I grew up with and my whole journey you know being a musician running clubs being involved networking building events in Israel and then I'm gonna end up just being this corporate guy and I was like I gotta get out of here and I was like screaming literally and this informed me a few times like Bro, bro, I did that thing once. You gotta, you gotta go for something more. But I was like, you know, whatever. You know, we, we were friends. How did I meet this? And I met him online, 2011. I was working with, you know, I've worked at a lot of programs. And on these streets, they call me the Midnight Rabbi because yeah, I was up all night. Why did I got stay up all night? Because you know, like all men, yeah, we're we're boys, yeah. I hope, yeah. You know, nowadays you never know, yeah. But like, we're, <laughs> so like. I was being a boy, yeah, Baruch Hashem, and being a man, and even married, and you still have these like feelings and things going on, and you're like, it's late at night, and you're just like, I didn't have a phone, thank God, to, to poison myself with in that way, but I did have the, the, the battle, everyone has the battle, so I was like, I'm just going to go for walks, that's the best thing, I'll go for walks, and what I see in the middle of the night, now after night, a mad amount of guys on the street, no one's going to bed, everyone's sleep, oversleeping, and all the schools, like, the, where, when's it happening at night? So midnight is when I started hanging out in the streets, so and that's what I did. And I got a job by a bunch of programs, Netzach, Neyakov, Nevezion. There were big programs back in the day of like, you know, teenagers and stuff. And it was a very powerful experience. I did a bunch of events with them. But like, so Nissim, when I was sitting there working for these programs, I ended up in Beit Shemesh working for another program for Ethiopian kids and doing bar mitzvahs and helping them and whole story. Anyway, to cut a long story short, I see Nissim online. How did I get to Nissim? A guy called Shine. I don't know if you heard of Shine. He was boys with Puff Daddy. Anyone knows Puff Daddy? Yeah? You want to know who Puff Daddy is? I mean, like, I'm, I'm not talking to a bunch of frummers here, yeah? No? Puff Daddy's previous generation? I mean, he's like, he had the, he was on this program now called The Four, yeah? Yeah, no. Yeah, yeah. Like, Puff Daddy was like the manager of, you know, of, uh, who, who can we say? He's famous now. I mean, he was involved with the whole Tupac story, but like, you know, and, you know, big, what's his name? Big, Biggie Smalls and all that Biggie. stuff, yeah. He was Biggie Smalls' manager, yeah? He discovered Biggie Smalls. You just look, you know, I mean, he was with, uh, he was go, uh, going out with Jennifer Lopez for years. Yeah, so he's a big dude, yeah? He's one of the famous dudes. I don't know if he's a good dude, but anyway, so his boy Shine was working. He ended up in prison, a whole shootout that went on with Puff Daddy and Shine and, he ends up, I don't know how this happened, but Shem brought him to Israel. He ends up sitting in yeshiva, and I, someone sends me a video, one of my boys, and he's singing yeshiva with a black cat, and I'm like, nah, Shine, this guy, I know Shine from back in the day, a big rapper from Puff Daddy. So I, I went, and I'm the type of guy, like, I see someone interesting, like all these kind of guys that come through Israel, I end up, like, being in contact, like, let's talk. Anyway, so once I was hanging out with him, then he, his boys, who, funny enough, I just put them on a collaboration album just now, um, he, his boys told me there's a new rapper in Seattle. You got to go. You got to talk to him. He's started to become a bit, you know, Jewish, and he's he's put out a new song that's on MTV. And I checked it out. It was a fat song. It's still around online called Yesterday. And uh, I got in contact with him online, and we just started chatting a lot. And like I said, when he he phoned me about five years later, I was his first gig he did in Israel. And five years later, he was like, he, want, he knew he could see more from me. Like, I put him on here in Israel, and he was like, why are you doing this corporate thing? And I was like, you're right. 
And, but I didn't know what to do about it. So suddenly a job came up, a manager job in Jerusalem, running like a company. So I was like, I'm going to take it, even though I wasn't as stable seemingly as a corporate. By the way, that whole corporate thing fell apart. Like, you know, as powerful as it was, owned by one of the biggest, um, you know, 200, you know, whatever you call them, companies in the world. Like, it's, it's, yeah, Marlboro is the original, you know, name of the company, but they got bought, they got rebranded called, uh, I remember their new name, whatever it was, yeah? So they own this this company I was working for, and um, it was called Greensmoke, and it was an e-cig company, and also Mark 10. So I was, like, working for an established company with, like, a whole chain of, you know, promotion. Yeah, like, you, go, you can go up into the corporate world. And then I'll go work at this funny like juice store in, in, in Jerusalem, you know, with all its fun, up and downs. And while I'm there, guess who's there every day? Nissim, because he's always picking up stuff. He's doing stuff in the studio. So this is the divine providence, the flow. There he is, coming in, in and out of the shop every day. And he's like, Ellie, man, we, and we're talking because we're already friends from years before. And I mean, he used to call me a little bit of rabbi, whatever. And he was like, you've got to be my manager. And I'm like, I'm working. He said, do both. So I did. And that year was crazy. I was trying to do this manager job, and I was flying every month to like LA, to Miami, to London, to Manchester, to to everywhere. Yeah, and it was it was an amazing year. And New York, we did a massive show in Brooklyn, and you know it was it was a smash year. We did Times Square. He was he was Jewish completely by that point. Yeah, this was 2016-17. I went on managed him full 2018, and in 2019. Uh, after Pesach, after this crazy Pesach, that's now been a year and a half or so, I was just like, bro, I can't do this. My wife and everything, I moved back to Jerusalem. I'm like, I've got to like focus on, you know, like just getting a more normal day job. Anyway, so Rav Oresh's people had seen me doing this for, for Nissim. So they're like, you got to come work for us. So I already switched with Nissim by that point to be his booking agent. So then I could do it. So I, I'm still doing Nissim book. So anyone wants to book Nissim can get hold of me or any other artist. I've got a long list. And a whole bunch of artists now, by now, thank God. And um, you know, that was my family's business, you know. Awesome. No, my, fam- my family, you know, someone was trying to get hold of Cat Stevens. And this guy's a big show himself, so I just asked my dad. He had his email. Like, Yosef, I just gave it to someone the other day for his son, Yosef, they call him, or whatever they call him now. Huh? You don't even know who Cat Stevens is, probably. Huh? Huh? Yeah, so my uncle and father did the biggest events ever in history. They did Live Aid, you know, you know, they put on, they were the promoters. Bob Geldof gets the credit because he's a famous crazy dude, but my father and uncle were the ones who actually ran it, practically. Like, they're the ones who made it happen. And you can watch the real life footage, it's online now, of, and they talk about Harvey and Martin. My, my father, not so much, he's more behind the scenes doing the merchandise and licensing, but my uncle was the more the famous dude. And uh, that's, my brothers are still in that industry. They're right now doing 007 for the new movie, and they did the Olympics, and they've done a lot of big stuff, Jubilee. So I grew up in like a big, you know, music business, entertainment business. So now that's why it was even more painful. I'm sitting doing this crap corporate job. I could be back in London and, you know, with all the famous stuff. And, you know, I was just, but at the same time, that's the whole thing. That's why I want to help you a little bit. Uh, when you're making choices to live in Eretz soil, it can be sometimes a struggle. I'm not going to pretend it isn't. But like at the same time, like I've been here and I've seen, like if you really want it, and I prayed a lot, and I really wanted it a lot, and I have, thank God I have a holy wife and holy children, and you know I'm surrounded by a lot of good people. I have a good network of people that we all look after each other, and holy rabbis as well. I'm connected to a lot of holy, holy rabbis. 
And that network, it gives you ability to like, even if sometimes it feels like, how can I do this? You know, why am I giving up like a successful life in London? You know, like, you know, how can I give up my successful life in Australia or South Africa? You know, I got mad hookups. So one, I don't think those hookups disappear. I'm not someone who believes, I'm not one of these like rabbis, like dudes who like, you know, come to Yeshiva and forget like that world exists. I don't believe in that. I believe it's all organic and you've got to use everything that you grew up with, all your, all your network to develop to now. And I see, thank God, that my network has, has helped me develop from London here to the world. And it's been an amazing opportunity. You know, like, and in terms of finding a soulmate, I was lucky because, like I said, I met her in the gym. So when I came to Israel, I already knew that she existed and I knew that she was the one. And my first date was with my wife. So I didn't have to go through that whole dating thing and, you know, like, you know, 10 you different shaduchim. Yeah, I was religious by the time we went out, thank God. But I, I just knew, I was 21. So I'm How old were you when you... 21, when I was dating. Oh, I became religious at 18, 19. Just before the year 2000, when everything went really nuts, I was already, like, religious and an awesome air. I mean, I don't like using the word religious, because I never became, like... I don't even know, spiritual, just awake, just in, in touch with... I try, I try work on it daily, like, in touch with godliness and try connecting with souls. I like putting out an album now called United Souls Number One. It's all about souls. It's all about this concept of souls that we're unified and united. There's a soul connection between us. And in, and in this day and age where there's so much, you know, I was, I was calling out Oprah online. I never did this before. You know, I'm not the type Oprah and, and, you know, I was calling out Oprah. I was like, Oprah, how could you let me down? Like, you know, you're one of the people out there who always said like spiritual stuff. And, you know, Nissan Black just messaged me this second, funny yeah, enough. So Can you uh, drop us his number. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's, a, it's a money thing. Not for spam or anything, you know. Send you a picture. You have to, it's you guys, you have to get me the pictures. I'm going to let you guys take care of the pictures. I just turned off my phone, so I went out again. I'm sorry. So the idea, but the idea of, uh, of tuning in to, to like this divine providence, that we have a united soul, that things aren't whatever, you know, that is really, really important to me. And like, that's why when you only invite me, I'm like for sure gonna come because it's, for me this isn't a job. I'm not coming. No one's paying me to come here. I'm coming here to connect with you boys. Yeah. One, I live down the road, so if you want a Shabbos, thank God we have a fat Shabbos meal. Um, we're not able to host tens of guys. My wife will kill me if I do that because we're just, you know, we're, you know, as they call it, we're ballet tuba. Like we're not sitting here with mad support, family and stuff like that's part of my journey here, which is challenging and. You know, like I only just met Yoni, even though he's my family, and I'm like slowly, slowly starting to connect. But mm. family can sometimes be a challenge here in Israel because you're, you're leaving like a little bit, you know, the whole solid network back home, especially now with Corona. Like I would have visited my family, they would visit me. And now like Hashem's changed the, the story. Like we can't just, we can't just go when we want. So now like you really feel, wow, I really miss my family, you know, even more like the fact that it's been prevented. And I hope, you know, we're making a mitzvah, like I hope, my, either my family will come here or I'll bring my son there. But the idea is that, you know, like it's a different world we're in right now. And we've got to like tune in that Hashem's making a lot of changes in the world and not, not exclude Hashem. Because like I was listening to, to an important um, class today and because I, I also need, everyone needs to keep listening to classes. And the rabbi was saying that people, like he's not even a rabbi actually, he's a cool businessman, a friend of mine. I don't know if you heard of him, Gedalia Fenster. You know Gedalia Fenster? He's a cool dude, like he's clean shaven, 
business dude in Miami. Like I've stayed by him a bunch of times and, you know, beautiful home, like on the bay there. Like I love it. I have this massage chair and I just sleep in it. I have oh, it on so sleep nice. mode the whole time. I'm just lying there like, yes, Miami. But like, <laughs> you know, like right by this, by these boats are like cruising past. Like it's something else over there. But like, um, as much as he's that, you know, living in that lifestyle and he's got owns rehab and a detox and a bunch of businesses and as much as he's a hookup in that respect, he's also like intensely spiritually um, f focused and he's also a student of Rav Oresh and someone who like, you know, like is able to tune into a Muna and he said himself, he said like this whole Corona thing, everyone's forgetting Hashem, you know, everyone's just going on and on and if your family are going on and on about it, it can almost be annoying, yeah, like, you know, how's it, what's the numbers, you know, what's going on, you know, all the time, the same conversation, just like in England, all they talk about is the weather, you know, so, but anyway, so we're going to play some music, I know we want to get stuff, so since we are in this time period, just remember, yeah, that it's the Corona thing's also Hashem and it's not, it's not uh, taken away from our ability to enjoy life. Hashem will give us fun and positive moments like this. And L'chaim, should all be blessed. Can we get the guitar out though? Who else? Right next to you, bro. Uh, uh, Be'inu kol beis Yisroel Go base, yeah. This is our friend uh, Joey, yeah? I remember his name, I'm impressing myself. Um, so Joey said, I, by the way, it doesn't mind anyone's doing any pictures, so I'm going to give you guys my camera. It's a good camera, don't break it. And there's um, flash option, it's on, it's good. You can take a picture if you want, a video, you know how to use this. It's a, it was a present of a friend's phone. And, uh, so uh, someone here wants to do a picture, we can. Share it with Yoni, with Nissim, with whoever you want. Awesome. So our guy, our, our good man here, Joey, asked a question. Awesomeach. Awesomeach was our first first program and that I went to in London called the JLE. Yeah? Now, I was getting spiritual in Spa and I went to Asia a little bit. I went to Awesomeach in, in New Shalayim. But the first place I ever really learned out was JLE. And what drew me to Osamech was a very special rabbi when I came to Israel called Rabbi Bullman. He was just like really spiritual and was able to talk to your soul. And that's what I was looking for, someone who could talk to me. And I ended up very close to the rabbi there called Rabbi Samet, who's still around. Rabbi Yehuda Samet, really special rabbi, not so well known, but should be. Special holy person. And he, um, I still speak to him till this day, thank God. He was under my chuppah, and so Osamea was really good. I was not such yeshivish a guy, as you can see. Like I went a bit more Hasidish, um, you know, into more like Hasidish stuff, and you know that gave me the opportunity, though, having that foundation in Osamea and learning and Gemara and getting that foundation of yeshiva and having respect for for Torah and for Rabbonim, which when I joined that together with Hasidus. For me, that was like the ideal. Like I'm very much into Rosodik Svarim and Bresov Svarim and Chabad Svarim, and you know, like very deep. You know, there's a famous Rebbe called Label Eger, who was originally from also a literature home, and he went from Rabbi Kiva Eger's Mishpocha of Litvaks, the Yeshivasha family, not Litvaks, but they were Yeshivasha family, from learning into into Chesidus, and that really like that safer really speaks to me as something I learned on Shabbos and it's really a lot to do with Ahavna, like loving Hashem and that was my big question when I was in Yeshiva and they were like, you know, learn Gemara, learn Gemara I was like, where's the love, guys? you know, where, to the rabbis, because like you've got to give me some more love, because you know like I'm more of a hippie in the Shama and like 
you know, I, I need to feel the love, you know. And so when I made this album, United Souls, one of the songs is Just Love Them. It's a guy called Joey Newcomb. You heard of Joey Newcomb? He put out a song, uh, Joey Newcomb has a bunch of famous songs like Thank You, Hashem, and Na 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 Na, Thank You, Hashem, Da Na Na Na. So we got one of his songs, but, uh, and it's all just about love. So that's, that's the kind of vibe, like, that I was, you know, I was looking for a soulmate, I was looking to connect to God, I was looking for the Messiah, the Messiah, the Messiah, Messiah. I wasn't looking just to become a London and know how to learn Gemara and get intellectual stimulation. But it's important, what I was always told by all my teachers, that in order to understand spiritual parts of Judaism, you're going to have to know Halakha and Gemara. And that's why I've always made an effort, till now, to always learn those parts of Torah, which are more like, you know, seemingly... Uh, revealed and more obvious, even though they're also very deep and spiritual, but on a simple level, they're more obvious. So that also was very good for me in that way. You know, and I appreciate it. Huh? But that was some songs. So this is a song I wrote in Osamea, um, and I was learning at that time on the side with the breast of Rabbi Dan, actually two minutes from where I live now, funny enough. You know, things come full circle. And, and he was also about you, a hippie dude. And he said, he was the one who told me, he said, make sure no matter what, he said, I'm not going to learn with you any of this breast love spiritual stuff unless you'd learn the Gemara and Halakha and you're keeping up with that. And that was his rule. So I tried to do that. But one of the things that impressed me after we finished prayer service with them, they used to dance around, you know. I don't know what's going on with Corona right now, but they used to dance around after Mincha and all that. So that dancing around was like, wow, that's really cool. Like, you know, you finish praying to God and then you dance together like every single day. And I was really impressed by that. So I wrote a song about how important joy is. And at the same time, I was feeling really sad. I don't know if you guys get that sometimes, but I was feeling, I was maybe I was a bit alone because all my family went here and friends I grew up with. They did come visit, but it was like, you know, and then at the same time, I was like trans- transitioning into a whole different lifestyle. And so I wrote this song like with that sort of broken heart, at the same time yearning for joy. And I played this song at my wedding, and you can Google it. If you Google Midnight Rabbi Wedding, you'll see the song will be formed by a 21-year-old version of me on the Midnight Rabbi's wedding. Simcha. The song's called Simcha. We are a people of a kind We'll do find our truest side This place of holy paradise This is our home You shall I will sing to all our children crying Oh, uh-huh.
By the time we got to Water Bay, we've been over the Pacific twice. Uh, Pacific or the Atlantic? Atlantic twice. And we went back another time over the Atlantic before the end of the week to make it for a Brit in Jerusalem for Purim. That's three times over the Atlantic in one week. And that was on the second part. And Nissan just found out his wife had a baby. She was like in labor and having a baby. And we had to give this whole big thing to all these Water Bay boys. There were a few hundred of them. It wasn't a small place. And this and spoke his story, and then we went into the place and did a gig. Now, I was the DJ, yeah? This is the funny thing, they made me the DJ. So I was DJing, not only was the manager, but I was also DJing. And I was DJing this gig, and the stage was made in such a crappy way that everything was moving around. So the computer was like flying around. I was trying to hold it, and this was something. All these boys came on stage, Waterbury boys, started doing their thing, you know, dancing on the stage. And the, I was like trying to DJ this event. So accidentally I pressed, like uh, Yoni Z had used our computer one time. You heard of Yoni Z? He's like a singer like in the Jewish world. He used our computer, so he'd set up a song, a Shweki song, to do at an event that we did, yeah? And it came up, I don't know why it was set, but it came up and I pressed, it kept pressed on by all the moving around by accident, and suddenly a Shweki song comes on in the middle of a Nissim concert, yeah? Uh. And now guess what the song was? The whole song, the whole song about I believe in Nisim, yeah. So everyone thought it was meant to be because it was Nisim. I believe in Nisim, yeah. So everyone in the whole place was singing I believe in Nisim, and they all thought it was like. And Nisim turned around and he gave me one of these looks, like you know he's gonna like beat me up afterwards, and like he only gave it to me, like you know, because we were that close. He's not that kind of guy generally, but like that was like what have you done, Ali? 
And then I said, I look, look, I go like this, look, they're all like going. And he's like, yeah, and he starts. They didn't see him. They thought it was part of the thing. And like, you know, as a professional musician he is, he just goes through it and like sings the whole thing and does the whole thing. And then like, how did he, like, how did he know the lyrics to that song? Oh, he knows. He knows. That's impressive. So it was, it was just like a fun moment, like for the Waterbury boys. So they, they, they were great. They were going nuts. Huh? They used to come to all the events whenever we did anything in New York. They were amazing. And in Oman as well. A lot of them came there to Oman as well. They're always cool guys. And, uh, we, I don't know what's going to be of Oman this year, but Nisim and Oman. I, d- I've, I did a, sh- I did a, a viewage of Nisim and Oman. If you guys, I could put it on. Like it's pretty powerful. It's my video. Oh. Put it on so it's my video on here, and uh, get out of here. Mother land. It's a problem when I leave it on. Mother land bounce. Yeah. So this is my my video I made at Nissim. I was just standing as part of the whole thing. First time he ever played this song, and everyone was like, "What is this?" Uman Rosh Hashanah, like. It's the holiest night of the year, like just before Rosh Hashanah, it's called Zerka Chris and Breslov. They pray all night. And Nissim gets up and does like a proper hip-hop, like, you know, black, you know, like, motherland, bounce, man. Like, and the whole crowd, and it's like, what is going on? And Uman Rosh Hashanah, like, it was crazy. Listen, to this, this is like a real, like, hip-hop. You can feel it, yeah? So for me, like, people were like, you know, how can you be involved? Like, this is not Uman Rosh Hashanah. But for me, it's like, this is Judaism for me is not about limiting it. Like, I believe the path of Judaism is very big. If you guys have talents and skills and have what to bring into your game, like, bring it into Judaism. Like, don't, don't feel you have to go off Judaism to be able to express yourself and use your talents. Like, it's, it's, there's not, like, two worlds. There's only one world. There's only Hashem. It's one world. That's what I sang just before. Yeah, it's all one thing. So when you tune into that oneness, so then everything, all your talents, everything can have the ability to be elevated. So for me, even though this is like a controversial moment that he sang such a song in Uman, but like it was, for me at the same time, it was like a very like powerful moment. Like, wow, like hip hop can be also like kosher, can also be elevated. And, you know, and everyone was like, you know, thousands of people in this place, there was thousands in this place, were like singing for Hashem, but like, like in a root voice style, it was like interesting, you know. So that's 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 the that's the thing. So that was a good question about Osamech, and you asked about Waterbury boys. But what's next? Anyone else? Got anything? So I never really jumped into the mainstream world so much. Nisim is starting to, like he's been encouraged. Oh, my family, they're all in that world, yeah. No, but nobody in my family yet is... Like who specifically do they work with? That's like quite in the mainstream. I mean, everybody, yeah. Wiley? No. <laughs> so Wiley, I'm, Wiley, I'm actually speaking to a guy in England called Chucky next week. Chucky's like boys of Wiley. And they want to have a chat with someone who... Uh, who's Jewish and in Jerusalem. So I send them some people to talk to and Chucky's like, no, I want to talk to you, man. I'm like, I don't want to, I don't, I'm not usually the, that's why I don't usually perform, I don't usually speak. I have people pay me to bring people to bring to speak. I'm not usually the speaker, dude. I'm like behind the scenes. But, you know, here and there, Shem's pushing me forward here and there. So Chucky guys, no, no, I want you to come speak. So I'm like, all right, fine. So I'm going to speak to this Chucky dude next week about Wiley. But, um, that's crazy. But uh, yeah, that's a crazy story. But the point, come back with saying, so generally I stay out of the mainstream story. 
I'm, I'm a little bit starting to call out some people out there a little bit, just because I feel like the world's losing its mind. And if you don't call out a little bit, like you're, you're sort of not being responsible. You know, like I, I'm, I am a bit of a fan of Ben Shapiro, if you know who he is. Yeah. Um, even though he's, he just made a really funny tweet, like it went nuts the last few days. Um, but then, uh, you know, I'm also a big fan yeah. of some of the podcasts uh, out there. I don't know if you know a guy, Joe Rogan. Yeah, yeah. You know Joe Rogan. I don't know Joe Rogan, but he's someone I'm starting to listen to more and more, especially now he has Ben Shapiro on. Um, and I was just like, yeah, you know, having that real talk with someone, like he says himself, like people feel like when they're listening to me, they're having a chat. Like, and that's something which, you know, growing up with boys and having people to chat to, living in Israel and the intensity of lifestyle here and everyone's very into davening and learning and or they're working or they're hustling or whatever they're doing over here. So then people are like, you don't get much time to actually chill and talk, you know? So like, um, you guys are doing me a little bit of a toe just so I can just talk. So like the mainstream world is there and I am still connected, you know, like I said, my family is still in that business and when I go back I usually meet with people and stuff and I've spoken to mainstream management about getting some advice and I've, I've Nissim's definitely trying to go mainstream. He, he has now a manager who, he, his official manager now is a person who's worked with Natalie Portman and, you know, and as a manager for her, as agent agency for her modeling and stuff and, you know, other such names and Snoop Dogg and stuff like that. So, no, that that's the kind of person now Nissim's like connected with in America. So he's a younger guy, up and coming guy. So he's a music lawyer. So we're gonna we're gonna slowly, you know, check out the mainstream scene with a new crowd, the new up and coming management world. But I, you know, I feel it's very important for me. Like when I was a rabbi in yeshiva, I I didn't just like feel like I'm here to teach you dudes. A lot of you dudes have what to teach me. Like I, when I ran my events in Jerusalem, when I was running different programs in Jerusalem, I would let the guys run the run the programs because they did it much better than me. Because they they're they're cool with everyone. They're young. They're fresh. They've got much more energy. I don't have, they don't have to go home to a wife like I did. So they could be up all night and just like hustle and. I, I did some sell-out events, and the main key was because the young people in the game were, were were the sellers. You know, they were they were promoting the events and making it happen. So it, that's a very big secret to how I was successful when I was doing events. But like, the point is that you have to you have to like really work with, you know, like I said, my network, and my network is still mainstream somewhat. But at the same time, on a Jewish level, like if you look at my artists, they're all Jewish artists. Um, Nissan's the only one who's venturing outwards. Um, would the other artists like to go outwards? I'm sure they would, but it's a hard world. Like, there's big talent. Like, if you see online now, the amount of talent shows, like, um, you know, like, uh, Americans Got Talent, and all the other places got talent, and X Factor, and 4, and this one, and that one. There's so much high-level talent. Like, the thing that some Jew boy who's trying to learn Torah and Daven, and, and also be responsible and be a mensch, is trying to keep up with the level of talent out in the world. It's a, it's, a, it's a struggle and there are a few people who are doing it. One of the things people ask me a lot, um, someone just did this Friday night, do you, one of my guests, do you have like good Jewish music? Because I'm not finding much, that was his question. So I, bit by bit I'm sending him stuff, uh, more like less known Jewish acts um, who are very talented and in my opinion are just as good as say Radiohead or any of the major major artists, like they're just as talented. But yeah, to answer your question, what's your name, bro? I'm Jay. Jay. So to answer your question, like, I, I think mainstream is needed. I, one of the things that has been a little bit like upsetting, I, I said this to South African people recently, I said like, where are your, where's your music, where's your like online presence? 
I don't see you dudes like doing enough stuff online. Like, like there's this one guy reached out to me from uh, from from Joburg, and I'm like, never heard of your network. I've never heard of your branding. Like, why not? You know, why? Where are you? Why are you so quiet? Why are you so local? So my wife said to me, she was African. She said, Africans like to just work in their own community, yeah? But we're in a global community right now, and you know, there are some musicians, like one musician really stood out for me from Africa, a guy called uh, Ruben Garber, who has an act called Derek, Derek, uh, what's the, what's, what's the, Derek Achim, really nice songs, and he has Dutch, was about to just do more and more, and I was starting to help him and work with him. So he's someone who I really hold of as a musician, Ruben Garber. But uh, that's like literally it. You know, I, don't, I don't really hear much. I, I mean, your chief rabbi is a famous rabbi. He's done a lot of good stuff. Uh, and I have spoken to him a few times online. But uh, there definitely needs to be more, in my opinion. Like, you guys need to get more mainstream not, and more global. I don't know. Because you've got, like, for example, Derek Achim, they had that, like, African beat. Because they, you know, they live in Africa. There's an African beat in their in their culture, you know, with the local Africans. And like, you know, why ignore that energy? It's a powerful energy. Bring it into your music. Do something with it. You know, there is the label that Nissim did that song Motherland Bounce. They have a studio in in Joburg, so that's probably influenced that song to have more of an African beat. So like, you guys need to. Get on the yeah, no, not just social media. Just but use your, you know, don't feel limited to just being communal in Africa, like uh, Miss Africa, that you're, you know, only with your, what do you call them, brothers, how do you say in Africa? Um, Brendan. Brendan, nah, Brendan's already English. Well, I don't know, boys, like, gents, now. No, there's a br- br- Bruce, yeah. Oats. 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 yeah, all these words. Lance, gents, Lebron, gents, Bolton, what's that, mate? No, it's mainly like Bruce, yeah. So you guys need to, like, you know, get that out beyond that, because yeah, you know, like, you've got talent, you've got soul, you've got, and don't just think that you're just limited to Africa. Like you're sitting in Jerusalem right now, this is a central place in the world, and you're probably meeting all kinds of people. Like, network, meet people, be friendly, you know, because it, it, it's helpful. And then you can be more like our friend here, Jay asked. Then you can have ability to be a bit more mainstream. Do, do I want to go more mainstream? Look, I'm open-minded. Like I'm, I'm trying to keep myself very universal. Like it's hard because I'm like doing a class about United Souls, and the next minute I'm posting up a class about Kashrut, and this non-Jews like, wait a minute, but then that means you can't eat any of my food or drink anything or like you know like, and how's that like universal? How's that connecting? And then I have to get into all those questions, you know, like, you know, we are universal and we are about unity, but the Jewish people have a specific mission and it's not, God forbid, racist or exclusive. It's just, it's a very specific mission. Like, for us to become the best we can be, we have to be completely proud of what we are and, and be, understand that we have a specific mission and that's how we can be universal to everybody else that we're doing the best thing as our role, as our thing. So that's the most important thing that Nissim, even if he does go mainstream, that he keeps his Jewishness. Like Matthew went mainstream, and you know, you know, we can pray for that dude, you know. And uh, you know, I actually walked him through the shop one time many years ago, right nearby here, and I asked him for his name. That was the last thing we spoke about. And I said, "Bro, I'm going to pray for you." And I've been praying for him since then because he he needs the feelers, you know. He's out there, and he, at that time he thought he could deal with it. And obviously, as time went on. You know, it's, it's a hard scene to be in as a Jew. Like what do you mean? Like his old stuff, like 
The Debus, Debus stuff? Like Nissan's old stuff. Oh, D Black, yeah. The D Black is how I met to, met him. That's how I met him, as D Black. I didn't know him as Nissan. I met him. Nissan Baruch was later on when he converted. I met him in 2011 as D Black on MTV. Cool dude. Yeah, like he was cool, man. He was an up and coming act. Uh, D Black Damien. I have his passport on my phone, his, his old passport name. Ellie, with Nissan, how do you go about it in a way where you can become more mainstream? But at the same time, you touched on it now. How do you go in a way where you become more mainstream, but at the same time, you still align with the Jewish Yeah, so that's it hasn't really been done. Yeah, because I mean, how, it hasn't really be honest, been done. So really listen, be interested so in Jewish music see, this, this uh, is what Rav Orish, and this is what I'm going to be busy with after this, is we've had all kinds of guests in his, his class, and it's amazing how he speaks to them. Like, we've had a Mexican convert, an LA convert, we've had Nissim from Seattle convert, we've had, are, are you laughing at what I'm saying, or laughing at something else? No, no, I mean, maybe it's funny, I don't know. And then, uh, and then I, I want to be funny, I mean, you know, it's a cool thing. I, I think humor is really important, you know. But anyway, like, so uh, we've had a guy, a Rabbi Rav Shlomo Katz, if you've heard of him, musician, we've had all these people, I've organized these classes at Rav Orish. The point is that Rav Orish is a connection point for a lot of these people to, to maintain, to ground themselves in spirituality and stuff. But like, he, you know, like Nisim in specifics, was, was given that permission by his Rav, that's his Dastor, his Rabbonim of dining him, to go mainstream. And they're saying, because remember, Rav Orish is into Amunah. Amunah is universal principle that everyone in the world can have Amunah and Hashem. It doesn't have to be a Jew. It has to be anybody, everybody has to believe in one God. So he's helping everyone connect into Amunah. So music and mainstream shouldn't be a contradiction to that. But what's his, like, What's what's his commitment that he tells Nissim he has to do? One, he always has to be, you know, keep keep in touch with his wife, make sure everything's according to Shalom Bias. So his wife's a holy person, so she she doesn't want him playing around, wasting his time. Yeah, he's never been a chiller, Nissim. That's one of the things we never like chilled so much. Whenever we were together, we were tachlis, like work, hero, working, helping people, doing stuff. Never was like, oh yeah, like we're on the road, let's just you know, let's go get you know some, you know what I mean, or like you know, it was never that kind of, it never even, it was more like let's go find a mikveh and let's go like, <laughs> like while we're not doing anything, let's just do some espoda, let's talk to God and like just connect and clean and phone our wives and be like loyal, responsible people and like connect with the people we're with and give them some encouragement. Like, it was always much more an elevated experience than what we were doing. And we're going to come to the question, yeah. So uh, just to end off, like the most important thing Nissan does is he spotted us. Like he talks to God every day, an hour a day, and he's he's completely like committed to that. And I've seen him on the road. But I remember Purim that week when we flew back. It was Purim, and that week we flew three times, third way back in the Atlantic. And his wife just had a baby, and we're flying back just in time for the Brits. Like he hadn't been there the whole time. For, like it was like about two weeks he hadn't been in, in Israel. We even went to Israel and we didn't even see his wife and then she just had a baby. We went to Ranana, we did a gig, got back on the plane after just getting off the plane three hours before. So it was like crazy kind of schedule. And like miss him the whole time on the way back after such a week when I was like, you know, just completely, I don't know what the word is, like bombing out. I don't know, there's a word for it. Like, yeah. like half there, like, you know, with whatever's on the crappy screen in front of me and trying to learn a bit of Dafyomi. He's sitting there doing six hours photos, yeah? And I'm just like, whoa. So that was Purim. So he, he's serious about his connection to Hashem, and that's going to be his key throughout his career, and that's going to be... Plus, he's got good boys around him. Like, I consider myself a good boy of his, and there's a bunch of other of us, and we, like, you know, we, we, we'll call him out, we'll talk, we'll discuss, me and him have late-night chats about stuff, you know, about family and, like, Yiddish 
Kai and stuff. So, you know, we, we keep each other grounded, you know, like we've always been that kind of relationship, so it helps. But, um, it's amazing that you have those type of people in the line of work that you do as well. So it's like yeah. those people that you see every day and work with are also those same people that are there holding you down. And yeah, we're all, we're all trying to keep each other in a spiritual place. Like even Alex, if I speak to Alex Flair, He's a, he's like a learned guy. Like he's yeah, he's not he's not messing around. Like he's learning, and like he's becoming a rabbi over dash down the road here. He has a kollel that he runs, and you know he's as musical and talented as he is. He's focused on you know Yiddishkeit, and that that's something which in this generation you'd be you'd be inspired to know how many gerim and how many ballet and how many people are now like coming closer to Hashem and hopefully bringing the music industry closer to Hashem like Yishai Rebo or you know in, in Eretz Israel and uh, Abiyatul Bonai there's a long list of Israeli musicians Yom Mazel, who are very highly talented and just as good as non-Jewish musicians or mainstream musicians and they're able to be totally focused on Hashem and they're amazing people and you know I have full respect for them so what's your question brother? Um, I was going to ask if you listen or yeah. that, that recorded getting into contact with Jewish, like, other like Drake uh, or whatever. Or Drake. Yeah. So Drake, all these people are really hard to get hold of. Like when I speak to my father about how the business works, in in honesty, in order to, unless you're like blessed, I happen to have like my dad had like a famous musician's email, just happened to be that way. But generally, it doesn't always work. I mean, the person you ask has such close contact. You usually have to go through an agent or you know their booking agent or their management or some sort of marketing team to get through to person. And when you're trying to get through them, they're not they're not interested in in Jewish connection. They're interested in business. You know, so if you can come up with a business reason, but if you're just coming up because you want to try help him spiritually or whatever, it's, it's probably going to be blocked yeah, by most of the people around him and it would probably need like a miracle. And remember, a person once said to me, and I think he's right, he's a holy rabbi here and once came, was learning in Israel, he's not here anymore, but he, he once said to me that basically it's a merit for them to know you. People, people get it the wrong way around. You know, like when, when Zusha started getting more big and you know Zusha, so they're, they're friends of mine and they were like starting to connect with Matteo, I was like, don't think it's a merit for you to connect to Marcel because he's bigger in the industry and he's been around and he's talented. He is, all those things. But he's lucky to know you guys because I know you guys. You guys are holy. Shlomo is a holy dude. Like He's just focusing on God. So you, you're actually, he's lucky to know you because you're much more focused in on, on the truth and values and not getting lost amongst who knows what. And like he's lucky to know you guys. So don't always, it becomes a little bit topsy-turvy how you view the world. So it's not like, oh, he's the most connected dude. No, it's he's the most valued and most principled and focused on, on truth and not just like losing himself in all the BS that goes on the business. I left that business for a reason, because it's BS, most of it, yeah? And I, I didn't feel happy from it, you know? So I, I now work with it, but only in a way that's like, is truthful and honest and straight and gives me a peace of mind and now with corona the business is on its head like literally so whatever was all these massive events and all these massive festivals and you know there was a bunch of artists trying to get me to go into the festivals so i started speaking to live nation and other big organizations big production companies i started like the last 
say year, I started to start emailing these people and I have all their contacts from my family and I was like trying to look into the mainstream festival scene and everything and I was literally just starting that and then this corona thing kicked in and was like, hmm, I think Hashem's trying to tell me something, don't you? You know, like yeah. maybe I'm not meant to go into the festival scene right now. You know, maybe not. Maybe all these nice Jewish boys that I work with would be better for them not to be there. You know, in Glastonbury, who knows doing what, you know, or like Burning Man or who knows what, you know. Tomorrow World, even worse, you know, whatever. Whatever, or Tomorrowland, whatever it is. Whatever's worse, yeah. You know, maybe it's better that these DJs and these people I know don't end up in such scenarios. And maybe the Corona thing's actually changing a little bit the flow that we can still be in our own Dalai we can sit in Jerusalem and still influence the world through music, through Zoom events, through who knows what's going to be next in technology, virtual events, who knows how we're going to do it. You know, there's a lot of now development now online of alternative ways of making events and getting things set up. You know, like uh, I'm, I'm in a Zoom chat uh, every every few days with a bunch of people in the technological world, you know, in the industry, and I discuss some stuff with those guys and you see that there's, there's so much potential with like, you know, all like you know stuff with like backgrounds amazing like visual stuff I'd like to get you know my family have a merchandise company I'd like to get them linked up with like some amazing app like, every time you do a zoom event you can somehow the event app and get merchandise while you're watching the event there's so much potential with this corona thing to switch it up and make it a more online experience and then you don't have to leave your holy environment you know you can stay there and just do your thing I like I've got a studio I'm gonna be there in another hour beautiful amazing studio with amazing green screen we got live Zoom, live Facebook, live YouTube. We got everything going on there. What do we need to travel? It's just uh, it's five minutes from my house. It's just up the road. Like I'm gonna, you're gonna drop me back. I'm just gonna walk up the road with my PC, press live on the YouTube, and everything goes live. And it's amazing, you know, edited and yeah, everything's green. The whole room's green. And it's brand new, it's all nicely done, and the equipment's all brand new, great camera work, and great studio, it's all done through PCs now, everything's, you know, through the computers, and, and it's amazing. You can make effects, you can, like, do any, any kind of background you want, have any kind of writing come, you can even have links fly up, you can do all kinds of stuff. So we're, this is, like, the next level with the music industry, how to work for that, you know? That's what we're doing. I've got a bit of a less music Yeah, please. And you lived in London. Yeah. Which soccer team did you support? Spurs. Did you yeah. listen to a few games? All the time. You had army. So, yeah. I, used to, <laughs> no, I used to go. I used to, I mean, it was on a Saturday, but I didn't know about Shabbos and Shabbat. So, I used to go and sit, you know, like in the VIP boxes because my family were hookups. But at the same time, I also used to go and specifically go with the real, like, I don't want to say this word, but we, it's a real, no, I shouldn't say. Um, we call what we call non Jewish guys, like, more like. Oh, yo. Yeah, yeah, you know, we used to call them like Gentiles, that's a better word, Gentiles, pleasant people, so we used to go and like be with those guys and we'd get like a bunch of pints in before the game with the boys in the bar and then we'd go into the standing part and they'd throw chairs and, and it, was, it, was, it was like proper fun and that was the best, they were the best games, not the sitting in the, the VIP box with the manager who owns, you know, some Jew boy who owns the club or whatever, it was much more fun being with the local you know, scum and like, you know, calling out everyone, calling out the other team bunch of scum and like, you know, like especially when we played Arsenal and beat them. It was like, so that was like, that was a highlight for me, those kind of games. And I was actually at the last ever standing, standing, um, of, yeah, in Park Lane, White Hart, White Lane, White Hart Lane, the first, last, sorry, the last standing um, game ever. But they, after that, it was only seating. 
So I was at that last standing one ever in the history of Tottenham. I've uh, yeah. so a question about yeah. Judaism. When, where did it turn for you when you, like you came to Israel, you said every time you were here you felt like a flow, but like, when did you make that conscious decision where like, I'm living this life in London, the clubbing, the girls, the whatever you had going on, to come sit in Yeshiva in Israel? So I'd gone off girls in, and that was an important development, honestly, huh. in university, just around university time. Um, and it wasn't because I was gay or anything like that. <laughs> it was, I'd, I'd gone off, I'd basically, I'd probably done enough up until 16, 17. And I was just like, like, I just felt I had a very intense relationship. Funny enough, I watched the movie the other day and that girl was in the movie. And I was, <laughs> and I was sitting there and I said to my wife, I said, she's quite pretty, isn't she? And my wife's like, look at me. Because my wife knew her, hated her. And, and then I, I let the name slip. And I was in such trouble. And she's like, she hates that name. She hates that girl. Even all those years, you know, like, like 23 years. But anyway, so, but it's funny. So that girl, like, in a way, at that time, broke my heart. And because it was a, I don't want to get the story, but it's a good story for another time, for another boy's night. But, um, and that sort of, made me realize that there's something more going on with this guys and girls thing. This isn't just fun and games. Like there's actual feeling here, a deep pain if it doesn't work out, that I can't explain, like the deepest kind of pain. And I'm like, why would I want to just go around like and just getting with these girls and falling So I got into this whole mindset, I'm not being with you unless we're gonna get married. That's my mindset. Like, completely secular dude. And people were like, girls were like, I was like, you know, I used to Modeling a little bit, I wasn't like a top catch. I'm not saying I don't look like it now, but back then, yeah, yeah, back then. So, so, and my, you know, the, 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 the no, the girls were like literally, and I was like, no, no, get out of my room. Like, um, if you want to, I want to get married. I mean, I know I'm in university and the guys do what they do, but I didn't do nothing. Like, I whole, it was a miracle. And I, once I stepped away from women in that way, and I, I didn't, you know, masturbate still sees I'm being straight with you guys. I once I control myself in that way, my whole life flipped. Like I started I stopped watching TV for a few years around around that time, also probably connected and there was no real internet like YouTube or whatever. Didn't have that. There was a bit like stuff coming in on PCs but it was crap. So I wasn't like watching any of that stuff and I was I was like cleaning myself out from that whole lifestyle as a gradual process. Nothing to do with rabbis, no one brainwashing me. It was just like a process of like purification and my earrings my ears got all infected and the ears they I had a bunch of them they all just popped out literally before you before that I had none already and I had this crazy experience all these kind of things one thing after another it was like God was taking me over and just purify my system so that I could be a vessel so once I came to Israel and I wasn't spilling seed and I wasn't with women and I was like open spiritualities writing poetry and music now I met Torah and I started to see how all the things I'm thinking about and looking at actually fit into a system you know this system is actually i'm already ready for this like this is what i want and now i can i don't have to just base it on my own ideas and like sort of get it right not get it right now i can know it's 100 percent. this is from god this is like masoira this is like a tradition this is all the way back to Arsino. this is revelation this is not just me just you know having this personal experience this is a this is a global mission for everybody so then i was like whoa so that really like like blew my mind that whole process and uh and not only that i had my wife was there after a year or so of being in yeshiva so i knew like i didn't have to go running around you know in that story and was your wife she really was just through and through like, she is it says in rabbi nachman the more you 
you connect to Hashem, the more your soulmate would connect to Hashem. So I, the more I felt like I was going on that journey, it was almost like identical. Everything I was doing, she was doing. She went to seminary, and I wasn't influencing her, which is like a gradual thing. So we were like on the same road even before we got married. And that's the truth, you should know. All of you guys, however much you protect yourself and work on yourself and grow, that's how much your girl right now, whoever she is, is growing. So if you guys decide, you know what? Effort. I'm going to Tel Aviv and I'm getting late tonight. I don't care. And that's probably what your soulmate to be is doing that night also. So you're you're just damaged, getting damaged goods. I'm not joking. I'm I'm I married my girl like she was pure and she never done anything. Even though she used to hang around a club called Strawberry Moon and like you know who knows what. She never did nothing. Yeah. She did nothing, and like, cause she, Hashem protected her. Not that I was such a holy saint, but obviously, Hashem, I'm a Cohen, so I needed to marry someone who hadn't been with a non-Jewish person, and that's why Cohen can't just marry Dalit Shuva, like, with their background being whatever. So thankfully, my wife is pure, and so Hashem, like, you know, was very obvious to me. A lot of things are very obvious. So when God's talking to you so clearly, it's not like this is my. Yeah, it's like so obvious. There was so much going on, and my family opposed it big time. It was hard because they were like, "We're giving you the best life. You know, why? Why would you reject this? You know." Like your family going like more religious or they No, no, no. They're not religious. No. Is it just your, so like your siblings or? My my family, like my brother's a little bit more traditional because he married a more traditional woman, but. That's his second marriage, but you know, like they're not they're not religious, and you know, it, but I've worked out ways like how to one I've balanced out a lot because I was very intense religious at a certain time period, like I was very close with a lot of holy holy people, and I was learning and davening and wasn't online, and it was a very special time in my life for about ten years, let's say, and I was still hanging out with boys and doing stuff, but I was like, I was. Like, Connecting as a person. Did yeah. you feel like you're being influenced in a way that you didn't mind at the time, but now in retrospect, looking back at it, it wasn't really like who you were, or was it dead on who you were? Like, I think that that's always going to be a balance. Like you have to constantly go through different time periods of. You have to allow yourself yeah. a little bit to open your mind up to people who are influential and to learn from them. But you have to always keep that balance of not losing yourself. So it's like, you need to have mentors, you need to have rabbis, you need to have people in your life who can guide you and spiritualize you a little bit. But essentially, you need to balance it out with with, uh, with always being in more in touch with yourself, knowing what your thing is, knowing what you need to keep happy, like you need to do fun things, you need to like, you know, you need to be, keep up sports and, you know, the good, the good mentors in my life, they encourage me to carry on doing, being myself. The less healthy mentors, but I made my own decisions to distance from them, you know. Also, Meir didn't want me to play music, funny enough. And I was like, I don't care what you say. I used to make kumzits every week there. So I got the rabbi who told me not to play music to also come play music there. So it was good for him also. I was like, I was like, no, I'm not the kind of guy you can push around so easily. So even even though I have full respect for Abonim, at the same time, I was, I think I influenced them also in a good way. And because uh, I felt like they were too like boxed up, you know, they needed some opening up also. You know? Yeah. Yeah, they were telling me, I don't know the song. Then, uh, I'm like a bit old school now with music, that's why. No one actually knows it on the guitar. Right now we're, we'll play a song, we'll play a song like this, going to help us get ready for Elo. You know, it's a, it's a bit of an older song, but like maybe you guys know, like this, the passing from Elo, from the Dovid Shamuri, this Shabbos is Shas, from Elo. Pastor's Ra'ay, you want the Brocha, not the Klala, you want the good things. So we should sing together. I don't know, do you know this song? Achish Alti? 
In that song it says, Achas, was the only thing I asked for, just to be in the house of Hashem. So all the righteous people write, what does it mean to be in the house of Hashem? So the answer is, no matter what I do in life, should be in the house of Hashem. Even if I'm doing business, even if I'm chilling outside in a Mepesa in Jerusalem playing music, I'm always in the house of Hashem. That's the one thing I request from God. I should always be close to you and bring that feeling of the house of Hashem wherever I do. So that's the kind of like spiritualization that we should bring into the music business, should bring into heaven. I pray for this. It's a big thing. Anyway, another song. Um, And please go by you guys. How old are you generally? 18. Well, so you're young, you've got years, you know. But like I said, this is the prep time now. Have it. It's a good thought to have. What you do now affects what your, your girl to be. <laughs> it's a whole different, different way, different paradigm now. Now you know that truth. So maybe we can sing without the guitar. I'm like not really yeah. such a guitarist, really, yeah. honestly. Yeah. 
Oh, 